Three, two, one, drop. Woo! Because the blower snow and like the pillow drops and the happy joy power all usually like blow tree lines. The happy right? joy power. I love that. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome back to Dark Starts, your backcountry splitboarding podcast. In episode 5, we speak with Valerie Black, the splitboarder and artist that created the Dark Starts podcast art. Her spirit is free in the backcountry, her soul is reflected in her art. Valerie shares with us all just how she frees the trees when she surfs the pow on uncharted mountains. So kick back, smoke them if you got them, and let's listen Alright, okay. let's drop okay. in with Valerie Black. Okay. Hi. Hi Valerie, we're super pumped to have you. You've been a huge uh, part of our development and moving forward, helping us with our logo. So that's kind of where we started from, uh, meeting you from your logo, noticing that you are a split boarder, you're a snowboarder, you're an advocate, you're deep into the industry as well. Um, so give us a little bit of a history of who Valerie Black is. How did you get into snowboarding? How did you get into artwork? Uh, give us a bit of a history talk on that, kind of lead us up to where you are today, uh, some stories, pros, cons, and then we'll kind of walk into how you like to look at the backcountry, because this is what this is all about. It's about helping people, learning everybody else's techniques, taking everybody's, uh, their standard operating procedures and maybe applying it into yours. Like I've already learned a bunch of things from other guests that I had no idea would be super important. So kind of walk us through that. Okay, that's a lot of things at once. All I was right, going to say, so... did you write all that down? <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep you along the. I'll keep you going along the way. Don't worry about that. Just... Yeah, keep me on topic here. Um, tell tell I us mean, where I you're. Mean... Tell us where you're from, where you grew up, and then uh, how you got into snowboarding and eventually splitboarding. Okay, well, I mean, I'm originally from Calgary, and I started skiing mm, a little bit before I turned two years old. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Your parents. My dad was like, I'm not sure what to do with this, so I'm going to put skis on it and see what happens. And, I mean, I was a wicked little ground skier, and I got sick of it and started snowboarding when I was maybe 10. Nice. And, yeah, I just turned 34, so, I mean, it's been a minute since. And But I never really cared that that much about snowboarding until I found backcountry mm. um, in my 20s. I didn't, yeah, a beat-up resort is not where I find, you know, too much stoke. But, yeah, once I found uh, extremely fresh, fresh, fresh lines, then I was extremely hooked. That's where it really started for me, I would say. And, I mean, I guess, yeah, one kind of leads to the other it's very much my artwork is a natural product thereof but I didn't start really painting until four years ago um and even maybe not even four years ago because it wasn't until I broke my ankle uh in the fall of 2016 that I sat down and really started painting and really started to see um how much how much I enjoyed it and how definitely one inspires the other for sure um 
this winter was huge for me because I met someone who's become a good friend, Rob Kingwell, who bought one of my designs for his uh, kick-ass brand, Avalon 7. Mm-hmm. He does face masks, yeah. uh, other apparel. He's, I mean, he's been in the industry forever, and he's become a rad, rad influence and a rad friend that... I mean, he's who makes Shaper's Summit a real thing, Absolutely. and he invited me to Shaper's, and yeah, I don't know. The opportunities that have come from it are unbelievable. Um, I don't really know what else to say. It's all happened really fast. All okay. of a sudden, <laughs> I'm an artist. I don't have a real job anymore, and this is all I've been doing. A real job's nothing but work. Yeah, an adult job. Yeah. So, so you grew up in Calgary. You grew up skiing, Grom skier. You got on a board when you were ten years old. Where? I'm kind of curious. Where did you ride Mm -hmm. when you were growing up in Calgary? Like what? What resorts? Like COP? Like you know, where did you? I've been to COP twice. Good. (laughs) All right. Um, I agree. So, I mean, my dad is a very He's a hardcore skier and he's a big time backcountry skier as well. But he was, yeah. So he was like my original ski touring partner. And, um, but he put me on skis at like at Nakiska and at, I don't know if you guys really know about Fortress, which is no longer Mm -hmm. operational. Um, I've had a nine mountain ski pass for my whole childhood though. Lake Louise, Fernie. Nice. Um, No wonder you are who you are, man. No kidding. You got to ride (laughs) some sweet stuff. Like, Chad and I are both from Ontario. Um, You know, I started skiing when I was three. Uh, Skied till I was 20. Took a big, huge, long break. And then um, my son was born in Nelson, British Columbia. And so while I was waiting for that to happen, I decided to go learn how to snowboard up at Whitewater. And uh, two turns, and I loved it. Right. And and I haven't put skis on since. Um, But growing up in Ontario, all the skiing that I did was icy, hard pack, like not a lot of fun to ride type of stuff. You know, like it was it was challenging. You know, when I was a kid, I did get a chance to go to uh, Sun Valley in Utah and ski some big stuff. But I did. I was too young to appreciate it, to be honest with you. Um, And then I moved out here and uh, just started skiing the local riverbank. And then eventually made it out to a place called Powder King. Got my first taste right. of what real powder is like and how right. I didn't know how exactly. to ride it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that that right. first taste was it. That's all I needed, yeah. right? And then now that's all I seek yeah. when I can. So I feel exactly the same. Once I tried snowboarding, I had zero desire to return to skiing. It's a, I think it's a way more organic interaction uh with the mountain and you see it in like when you look back at super organized skier turns mm-hmm. side by side mm-hmm. straight line yep. i refer to them as the uh the ramen turns because they just look <laughs> like those little <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah powder yeah. eights type of thing yeah, yeah. well exactly. ramen noodles yeah you know i appreciate yeah, the ramen factory <laughs> i appreciate a good skier like when i see you know so sure. so part of what i do year in year out is i'm a coach with the local snowboard club up at the local hill here now i'm a, I'm a dad coach right i'm not i'm not a sender <laughs> i didn't grow up in a park i wasn't a skater growing okay. up as a kid so i don't have those chops but uh 
But you know what? I'll take the other kids out on the hill and ride the hill with them and, and start getting them introduced to the park and doing a little bit of stuff there. Anyways, that aside, um, dang, where was I going to go with that? Oh, I know where I was going to go with that. So in our local park, we've got uh, a ton of freestyle skiers. And in fact, there's a freestyle ski club, man, I tell you, I love watching those kids send it just as much as I love watching our kids send it. Of course you do. Because like Stoke is Stoke. It doesn't matter. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, for you and for me and for the people who maybe never skied or maybe made the switch, um when you're surfing a mountain it's a lot more fall line um guided and defined and you'll see snowboarders just follow the earth and the fall line a lot more naturally than necessarily skiers man i love the way you describe Uh, it entirely yeah Yeah, like surfing a mountain that's always been my explanation to people about riding powder um, you know, and, and especially when you get that deep stuff and the silence oh. that goes along with it mm-hmm. and the flow, just oh. the flow. Just sound. <laughs> the sound of the snow. Just Are you frothing me. right now? Cause I know I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, Chad, Chad always, he always shakes his head when he hears about people who learned to ski first and then got on a snowboard or put their kids on skis first. I was the skater kid that went from skateboarding in the 80s into snowboarding in late 80s and uh, was hated upon. We weren't allowed to go anywhere. It was like, get out. You can't come there with that thing. (laughs) Which, and I get that entirely, but I think that foundation, I don't know, for me, that foundation was important for me and my kids. I have four kids. Uh, My oldest is 20. My youngest is 14. Everybody shreds. They all started on skis. I had a set of 110s, and I had a little 95-centimeter uh, snowboard, and I let them try both and decide what they wanted to do. And my son held, my son held out the longest. Um, and then my oldest daughter, she got the stoke pretty hard. I put, I put her and her brother in a club, um, the two, in the same club that I coach for, and uh, the two of them just skyrocketed skills-wise in that first season and then my daughter really got into the competitive side of it and she started competing down at cop and stuff like that and then went as far as canada winter games last year uh at the age of uh what was she last year would have been 17 was her last year so i think she's done competing now maybe on the higher level um but her stoke for riding is gigantic she's she's now a snowboard instructor as well as a coach at our hill and uh the one thing I've yet to do with her is get her out into the backcountry. She has done Powder King a lot. She loves powder. She loves to ride it, and she's down for all of it. That's awesome. I mean, and good for you for instilling that stoke because <laughs> I feel exactly the same way. I I go ski touring with my 64-year-old dad, and my dad has um, a pair of instinct out of Rosalind that have my graphic on them nice and he's yeah my mom has them too but she has resort skis but yeah so it was pretty cool to go out this season with my dad and see go stomp around behind my painting in the forest I mean that was pretty cool (laughs) that's pretty sweet man (laughs) that's huge yeah yeah uh it is Oh yeah, I was pretty excited when right. I found out that was gonna happen. Killer. But, so, I mean, so how did? Sorry to cut you off. I apologize. No, don't. Um, so, how did you get into splitboarding? Like, how did that get introduced to you from snowboarding? For, so, from skiing to snowboarding, 
Like at what age did you get into split boarding and how, how did that introduction go for you? And obviously you loved it, I'm guessing, right? The first time. So. Oh, I mean, it was okay. <laughs> yeah. It changed my life. Um, my dad has been touring for my entire life. So I kind of started asking questions about this when I was quite young, probably when I was still on skis. Um, and I guess like the first thing I remember being like curious about is what are those? And those were skins. And my dad said, no, we just walk up the mountain and ski back down. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) And I mean, the question since been answered. So I started ski touring with kind of um, just my dad in the Highway 93 region. Sweet. Um, Yeah, not so much like Bow Summit proper, but in that same sort of area. And So you guys were laying those lines that we're always staring at when we're doing that drive back from Banff to Grand Prairie. Yes. Yes, we're doing that. That's what we're doing. Exactly. So what was your farming pal? Yeah, exactly. What was your first board? (laughs) Was it like a DIY do it yourself or how did you get that going on? No. My first snowboard was actually nope. a prior. Okay. My split board. My yeah, first yeah, split board yeah. was a prior. And mm, I bought it used. Oh. For like, I got a smoking deal on it. I bought this thing for like 300 bucks. And it was in relatively mint condition. And the woman who sold it to me sold it from out from like under her daughter's nose basically and sold me the skins and poles as well for 300 bucks so that's how i got the boarding what uh, <laughs> steal of a deal well uh-huh. not to mention that it was a prior board too mm-hmm. i mean yeah, priorly I, used but <laughs> prior makes some incredible gear and i almost bought another prior this year but yeah for me to get a kick-ass canadian uh, split board and yeah I poof, I put a lot of miles on that thing it's super beat up now um, I still have it of course but I mean I got into it for 300 bucks and then a set of bindings is how I got into it and I started yeah farming laps up on 93 and I'd say once I started traveling to the states a lot that's when I was like, oh, yes, this is my life forever. I'm not doing anything else. That's it. So I've since explored, you know, um, the Snoqualmie Pass area, uh, Cottonwood, obviously Wyoming, Idaho, Montana. I mean, it's everywhere. Rogers Pass, of course. Can't not mention Rogers Pass. No doubt. So out of all those areas, where, where... Where's your favorite place to go riding? I mean, I can't say that I have a favorite place to go riding. Okay. Um, well, those are all great places, so hard. I understand entirely. <laughs> <laughs> Not Sunshine Village. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Um, I don't know. Like it, I follow the weather. I'm one of those people that actually reads multiple Abbey reports for multiple different regions daily in oh, the cool. winter time. Yeah. Um, I used to be a mountain collective pass holder. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, especially once they started adding Lake Louise and Rebel Stoke, and I could actually get some, like, you know, weekday pow days. Um, but I kind of just gave up on that because no matter how good it is at a resort, 
I'd still rather be in the backcountry. 10 four. So you got a so. good crew that you get to, you know, like when you feel the itch, it's not hard yeah. to find somebody to go with you. No, I have a, I mean, I have a great network. I would say all over the continent of people <laughs> to ride with. Nice. I'm, yeah. I'm very fortunate to have like couches to sleep on and um yeah people to snowboard with or ski with like i definitely have friends that are rad skiers that i'm happy to ride with as well oh yeah um yeah of course um and they're everywhere calgary uh to down south like pincher creek area waterton everywhere everywhere all the way to colorado so Dude, that's good. awesome. Life yeah, you have yeah. A, you definitely have a great network and you know where you like to go and ride, so that's pretty sweet. Um Yeah. I'd like to dive into you know, one of the reasons Chad and I started this podcast is you know, we we don't have anywhere near the experience you do in yeah, the backcountry and riding. But uh but we're getting there. So we um you know, when Chad and I met and we started talking about splitboarding and we talked about going out into the backcountry. The subject of, you know, avi education or knowledge and gear came up. Um, and Chad was kind of lacking there. So so just out of the, you know, the interest of safety and all that good stuff, I said, well, why don't we get that laid down first before we go? That way, if something happened to me, you know, I know you're there to help me out, right? And et cetera, et cetera. So, sure. so tell us a little bit about when you because man you started backcountry at a young age with your dad who likes to ride or ski backcountry all the time so when did you first take an avi one and uh you know and then we'd like to dive into your gear and your backpack and all that kind of stuff oh i can't remember the first time i took avi one um that's good. I so, can't remember when it was. but obviously, have you, so <laughs> you've done Abby one. Have you done Abby two? More than one. I've never done Abby two. Okay. Ever. Um. I don't. I don't know that I won't. Um. I might. It's something I've considered a lot of times. I'd probably have trouble digging up a certificate from Abby one to prove that I took it. But I might be able to. That's right. It's, um, nobody nobody requires it anyways, right? They don't require no. to see that you're certified in that, which I always found kind of interesting. Right. So who who like what who? Who's I know. Well, like I said, who's looking? <laughs> exactly. Um, so no, you know, one of the interesting things okay. is you know Chad and I were talking about Abby One, and I said, man, you got to take the Abby sure. One course, dude. And then not only do you yeah. have to take it, but I got to take it again, because even though I've yeah. taken it once, I don't remember all that stuff. And no. never have I really applied 10% of that when I went out, aside from maybe looking at a forecast, maybe looking at what the Abbey conditions were. Um, but I can tell you, uh, honestly, I haven't dug a pit mm-hmm. in the backcountry, right? So I just kind of looked at the conditions and went out and did that, you know? So getting reinforcing that knowledge, I think, is super, super important. And I don't mind paying the extra bucks to do it again and again and again. I agree. And I mean, even if you maybe don't take a course year after year, there's tons of literature available. Like if you sat down in September and read a backcountry safety handbook just to scare yourself a little bit at the beginning of the season. And another thing, like maybe you haven't dug a pit in the backcountry. And my understanding is that it's digging pits is no longer even taught in Abbey One mm-hmm. because it's such a, a variable thing that people no longer even bother teaching it 
Well, it's interesting. Um, I did my course it. in December of 2018, and we did dig a pit, and that was. I um, think that was the last year. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, my course yeah, was. Girlfriend... Uh... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, my girlfriend told me she did one. I guess it would have been this winter, or like the beginning of this winter, and they didn't teach digging pits at all. It well, wasn't in the curriculum, so that's very interesting. Yeah, I'm wondering if um. So my Abbey course, our 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 field day was Parker's Ridge. Uh, in, oh nice yeah which was sweet and it was like yeah. conditions were were not super great um <laughs> but the guide who was teaching my course owns the guiding company and uh his job for many years for the park service was the guy who did all the avi forecasting and the bomb dropping and all that good stuff so super super rad dude to be in the backcountry learning this stuff from for sure for sure, for sure. Um, do you guys do beacon practice, like, just on your own? That'll be the, that'll the be this country? that'll be this year. I don't even have a beacon, so there you go. Um, you can't go into the backcountry without a beacon. I know. I, I, know. Had, I had to borrow one one time. I've been out twice, and bought okay. the, had to borrow beacons. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, my second experience was not the greatest. I did three laps top of uh, Powder King. You just take a chairlift up, and we go into the back from there, and. I had, uh, I had a medical condition hit me that I didn't realize I even had, and uh, I, my blood sugar level dropped, and I was falling everywhere, coming back down the mountain, got lost in the trees, and it was not a good experience, right. so I've been, I haven't been out pretty much since. Um, I've been trying to stick into getting all my gear, getting all that, my health up first, but um, yeah, I'm going to be packing, getting all my gear up to, up to speed, up to snuff, and we're definitely looking at... Uh, Starting some sort of clinic here in, t in at Powder King, see if we can work with the resort to start doing that kind of stuff because they are getting more and more people that are going from, you know, buying a ticket, lift ticket from their location and going into the backcountry from there. And uh, they don't really have much going on for, you know, like a little Avi ranch or, you know, like, I mean, um, Beacon Ranch, you'd call them. I've seen those before. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely need to get my experience. I've only been cat, like, I've been cat skiing uh, and caribou cat ski behind. Uh, just in Vailmont, and that was the first time I really ever done that. And that was back in 2013, where um, I used Nav you know, had a Navi pack from them, and we used the beacon, did the, you know, little course, and everybody went around and tried to use, find it with the, <laughs> with the probe, and that was my first real right. experience in POW, and I was not set up right. I was riding a, a board that it's a powder board, but it wasn't set up right. I didn't have a great, the greatest of experiences. I love that powder feeling though. I kept, I was that guy that the guides hated because I went digging for the pow and the fresh, get away from the skiers, and then I'd get caught in a flat spot. <laughs> so <laughs> that was me looking, like you said, looking <clears throat> at the at the hill, at the mountain in a different play, different way, in a different uh, mindset, right? So, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. So that's a bit um, about, go ahead. Oh, no, you go. Oh, I got nothing to say. I was, I always have I was to gonna, say. I don't know, Abby won, and then... What were we talking about? Gear, gear going into yeah. So I, I like yeah. I like to I like to dive into everybody's backpack a little bit, just kind of okay. um, curiosity, right? I mean, everybody's okay. got that weird thing that they like to carry in their pack, and then everybody seems yeah. to have like things that they carry in their pack, right? So um, definitely, what is important to you? Number one on a day tour. And I'm kind of curious, have you done any winter camping type tours, like out for a few nights type of thing? Uh, I mean, not enough. 
but right. I've done some winter camping and I've done some sleeping in a Subaru at the parking lot. Yeah, you know, nice. um, my backpack is, you know, it's getting old and definitely uh, you can shovel probe. I have extra batteries uh, in case one of my friends has dead batteries in their beacon. Always, always, always some extra triple A's. Yep, same here. Um, zip ties for sure. You know what happens more than anything is shit breaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> poles and <laughs> bindings, right? Yeah. A uh, spare basket for poles will make a good day. Um, good I actually, yeah. Uh, there's a Jackson special. I don't actually own slipboard crampons, but these guys out of Jackson make these ski strap style, like studded, um, I don't know, help, not quite crampons. They're called skeets. They're pretty cool. Um, so I have a set of skeets for when there's a shit skin track. It just makes your life that much easier. A bad skin track is exhausting, right? So I got really lucky and got a pair of skeets this winter. Everybody should check those out. Um, where what else where would have? we find those? Oh, I don't know. Instagram. They got a website. It's ATS. And they weigh nothing. And they, you know, they also are ski straps. They're actually just holding my slipboard together like normal ski straps right now. Um, but they're super lightweight and they're super handy. So, I mean, those are always in my backpack for sure. Definitely. Um, I have a small first aid kit. I definitely keep dry mittens and another pair of goggles and hair elastics and sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You're the first person to mention sunscreen. Yes. That's killer. Yeah. Zinc maybe even for the nose on those really uh, bluebird days where you're stoked exactly. entirely and you're just not thinking about your skin type of deal. For sure. Well, it, for sure. And I, I mean, I am fairly notorious for never, ever, ever having leaves of any kind on. When I'm <laughs> I've noticed that uh, in, your, in your pictures, actually. I, didn't really, <laughs> I, I just, now that you yeah. say that, it, it comes up. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah, weird. for sure. Um, so sunscreen is a definite thing for me. I'm always getting in shit um, for not putting anything on my nose because it just gets baked in the sun. Right, and I will offer you sunscreen, and if you say no, I will not listen to you completely. Mm, hold you down, and here you go. <laughs> oh, it's so true. Um, yeah, I don't know what else is in there. I usually have, like, a total of two pairs of goggles, two pairs of gloves, a sweater that's not lightweight or packable. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, um, Puffy? You get a I puffy in there? No, I don't own a puffy, man. What? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not even wearing a sleeves. Like, I don't need a puffy. It's too hot out. Um, well, you're only you're I only in the backcountry ri- on nice days. I, I need to ride it. where you ride because I'm always cold and I got yeah, it's not good. Even when it's like minus twenty one or twenty two out, I'm still I can't keep my jacket on. I can't. It can't be done. Yeah, when you get not- when you get moving, the first tour that I ever did was in Jasper. It was in a place called Bald Hills. And it was a long okay. skin up out of, um, right. I think, Moline Lake. Moline okay. Lake? Anyways, yeah, it was a long skin up, and it was minus 20 in the parking lot that morning. 
Um, and right. it was a, it was a dark, perfect skinning weather. Yeah, it was a dark start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a, definitely a dark start. It was minus 20 in yeah. the morning. Um, I mean, it was fucking frosty in the parking lot, dude. And then we, we put our <laughs> shit on and we all started moving. And then a few of us were like, man, I should have put gloves on. I need thicker gloves. And we started doing that. But once you start moving and you get that, you get that yeah. out, you know, you get that grade going up and you're just starting to work and those big muscles in your legs just start heating up your whole body, man. The layers just started coming off and the higher we got, the more sunny it got and the warmer it got and the hotter it got and the layers were just coming. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) And it was, it was not a short hike, right? It was a five kilometer hike up to the top, but it fucking great, man. Loved it. It, There's actually a picture of it on our Instagram. If you've seen uh, my buddy Drew is in the, in the lead and he's taking a shot of the five of us behind him uh going up the trail in the trees it's a pretty sweet day and it was awesome um but yeah just notice how quick the layers come off and how fast you heat up right i love that i do love that oh yeah. especially when the sun comes out it's so true um it's amazing how i yeah i've been absolutely melting a few times and you look and you think it's supposed to be like minus 13 or 15 out and my snow pants are rolled up into shorts <laughs> i can't take it. <laughs> that's crazy that's awesome oh well I'm, I'm a winter child i mean i'm pretty whiny from here until about october um about it being too hot it's it's a lot so That's I'm so definitely, and, yeah, I'm definitely made for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel and a lot sad. the same. I can't, uh, any hotter than 30 degrees, just, I lose it. I can't take it. I'm, I'm out. Right. Exactly. It's, it's I'm too cranky. Hot for me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, know, so no. pack. So do you, do you, uh, <laughs> do you carry or have you ever carried an airbag? Nope. I never have. Um, my friend Jeff, one of my, closest woodboarding partners carries his airbag everywhere uh and has for years and he's almost pulled it once um and obviously the debate is there whether it is even a useful thing to have and the other debate is there about um the false confidence that it can instill in people Mm -hmm. So, so you're you're saying like it'll make somebody a little riskier, maybe take on more risk than they normally would. It's it's not even me saying it. That's just how the industry feels about it, or that's the debate, I guess. I should say, Um, I don't have one because I'm a ski bum, and they're expensive. (laughs) They are so (laughs) pricey, man. Yeah. I've mentioned my dad is like a very experienced backcountry mountain man, and he also does not have an airbag. He has an Avalon. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. Um, That extra, what, 15, 20 minutes that that thing would give you is uh, huge, right? Maybe life and death. Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's it's huge. So I don't know. Yeah. If somebody was like, here's an airbag backpack, I would be grateful and I would probably carry it. Um, Maybe not absolutely everywhere. I also like to have mellow days and not really an avalanche terrain, not real avalanche right. terrain. And I don't tend to be a high-risk individual just by nature in the backcountry. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the statistic about 
having a female rider in yep. your backcountry group yep. and how much less likely I'm definitely that female. Yeah, I'm I've definitely heard. like, I'm definitely willing to turn back on something, but yeah, if somebody was like, here's your new, you know, uh, airbag backpack. Yeah, sure. I would wrap it. Absolutely. Going, going back to your reference of having a female in the, uh, in your tr- in your uh, crew, I've heard that it just, sure. statistics are very good because you get women have more intuition. You're you're more prone to speak up, where a guy's more worried about making himself look bad. Where they'll be like, I'm not doing that. We're not going there. This is not right. Like you guys will speak up, and the women's intuition really does kick in. Darren looked at me with a an awe on his face. He's never never heard that before. I actually have. I've, I'm a podcast junkie, so I've definitely heard that before. Uh, in in also statistics. Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, it's so yeah, I've never had. It's like you're something like eighty percent less likely to be involved in an incident in the backcountry if you have a female in your group. Uh, yeah, that's what I've heard, and so I, I, I agree. It, I'm blown away. It, I've never heard that it's before. It's a staggering number. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, we're very pleased with ourselves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but, yeah. so that said, then valid. Is Valerie, is it, have you ever have you ever been close, you know, to uh, yeah. a slide? Has have you ever been in one or um I've never been carried in an avalanche. I've been very fortunate. Um whew, so <laughs> I've I've seen, you know, some things that have scared me for sure. Uh the one that sticks I mean, this is not my proudest moment. The one that sticks out for me the most, actually was not in the backcountry at all and my friends and I skipped the backcountry in favor of going to Jackson Hole mm-hmm. because the avalanche danger that day was astronomical it was like a double digit pow day in inches um so we went to the resort and this is nothing against the resort at all because my friends and I ducked a rope and I can tell you that I was wearing a beacon and that that beacon was not turned on. And I can tell you the same for everyone else in my group. And um, I watched the snow let go in this. We were all standing on top of a rock looking at this huge playground in front of us. It's a named bowl. It's a named run. But it was closed. And we were standing there and we were like, wow, this looks so great. I and mean, we're just going to like party smash this. And that's exactly what we did. And the two guys, uh, Zach and Max, were in front of me by maybe 15 feet. And they were basically side by side. And they went over like a pretty, I would call it a subtle rollover feature um, in this in this little bowl. And Prime. all of the snow came with them. It slid to ground. Like this was a three-foot cool. crown. Um, wow. And I mean, I watched it happen right in front of me. And I, I actually like kind of dove into a tree well, uh, right before this crown, and I screamed avalanche at the top of my lungs. And um, there was four of us in total that day, and I started kind of doing like a head count. Um, so I saw Max right as Zach yelled back at me, and right then I was like, oh, where the fuck is Baker? Like, where's the fourth guy? And I was super scared. Um, I knew his beacon wasn't on. I knew my beacon was on my person, but was, you know what I mean? Like, there was so nobody much. Nobody had theirs on, so nobody's transmitting. Yeah. 
and I was legitimately like shaking super scared for what was about to happen and this kid's like some 25 year old kid from Iowa and uh right when I was like okay well I gotta like actually do something Baker rolls up behind me and he goes (laughs) What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. I, and he, I probably, I don't know, like, how, what his thought was when I turned around and I was just like, you scared the shit out of me. <laughs> 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 and everyone was completely fine. And I really sucked at snowboarding for the next, like, 10 minutes. I was super rattled, really upset. Like Just shaking and not oh confident my God, about yeah, anything. I remember, yeah. like, kind of crashing into, a, like, a bush. Like, I was, I forgot how to snowboard. And luckily, we were able to buy, like, some tall cans at the store at the bottom and kind of <laughs> sit down and relax. And I remember my one friend saying, we should go back and find my GoPro. What? And I just, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Dude, that G- shit's g- gone. Good man. luck. <laughs> she gone. He, yeah, exactly. So I didn't want to go, and I was kind of choked. At the end. That's crazy. But, so, so did you get back on the horse right away, or what? Oh, for sure, I was riding the next day. But definitely, like that level of complacency. That I mean, I'm responsible for it just as much as anybody else in that group. That level of complacency exists anywhere um inbounds is a great example of there's a reason it was roped off yeah um but even like people who've been say you've been skiing the same lines all year long like you're a local to some area and let's say you live in Remy and you've been skiing baggy shoulder you know every week for the last 10 weeks there's no reason you know to get complacent there's no reason to think it can't go or some tiny isolated feature like that can't go and really fuck up your day. Um, and there's another common, I don't know, skier compaction. Maybe if you guys have ever like talked about that, um, the the theory that like, oh, this backcountry area is so popular and it gets skied so hard every day that there's no way that it could slide. And that's also been proven wrong enough times. So, I mean, of course, go snowboarding, but yeah, I don't know. Beacons, beacon checks, beacon practice. Because it was silent. Like, that snow moved, and it didn't make a sound, and it was the scariest thing I've seen. Holy. No doubt. I can imagine. Like, I've seen enough videos of, you know, and point of view videos where guys, you know, get their GoPro on, and they drop in, and they they hit Mm -hmm. that first turn, and it seems to... It seems a lot of times when I've watched those point, and they're just some Joe Schmo who posted his video on YouTube, right? But um, but it always seems to be that that convex face, right? Like he's on that, yeah. he's on that, and then all of a sudden it goes, and then I mean, not having ever been in one myself, of course, um, and always wondering, you know, and and then yeah. like, man, can't you just ride out to the side? Like, why? Why is that not a possibility? But then you got to think, like, all that snow is moving as well, so you're basically right. sunk at that point, right? And you're stuck. So to right. be able to escape it is a super lucky thing. But I think it's always something that I agree. You you, you can't take anything for granted, and you always got to be thinking about what you're in, what the conditions are like, and then always maybe picking an escape route if you need one. Well, you should always be picking an escape route. And that's exactly what I was about to say is like, find that place that you're going to escape before you start, like find it from the top. Um, It's 
incredibly valuable to go to a new zone with somebody who's been there before who can actually tell you where um, those safe spots are because going back to that same inbound slide um, the way Zach described it to me after was he was rapidly he was um, side slipping down the mountain so he had his like heel edge on the ground and he was leaning back against a wall of snow this is a guy who's six feet tall and he said the snow was up to his shoulders pushing him down I'm up to this guy's shoulders so it would have been over my head so fast and there's I you know and I'm I weigh 115 pounds and there's no way I would have been able to push back against something like that and that is I mean that's like a pretty harsh reality to think about it is tons and tons of snow and it seems so happy when it's like blower (laughs) (laughs) i know right (laughs) just hanging out doing its thing no this is upset snow and yeah and zach the way he described it to me was exactly that like it was pushing him over and he said i don't know if someone your size would have been able to like lean back and push back against that um so so yeah it happens super fast so maybe you have your escape route and you're looking at it and maybe you don't actually make it Right. 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 So it's very, it's not to be taken lightly. That's exactly it. Yeah. We did a, we <laughs> did an interview with, uh, with a woman by the name of Abby Cooper. She's out of Whistler and, um, she told us a story about her. She was doing a photo shoot actually. Um, when she was going to school, she was down in, I think it, this was in Montana where it happened, if I remember correctly. Okay. And, uh, she was standing, you know, in the middle of the run you know riders were above her um and yeah. one of the riders or skiers i can't remember what it was but they either. they triggered the they triggered the slide from above her so she had no choice she was caught in it um yeah luckily she survived it but when she tells the story it's pretty hairy man because she was bare she's a photographer right so she was she remembers being in it and thinking all the right things like shit here i am i'm in it what do i got to do this is what i need to do to survive this and um, you know, trying right. to maintain an airway in front of her as well as trying to reach for the surface. And when everything came to a stop and it packed around her and she knew she had done a good job of creating enough space in front of her face so that she could still breathe. But when she went to take a breath, the snow had packed so tight around her chest that it was almost impossible to inhale. Um, but Ooh. luckily, it, every, everybody had seen what had happened. So they were on her within sure. two minutes. Um, but she said the only thing sticking above the snow was her fingertips and her camera. Oh, and so I mean, good thing. And, right. Right. So it's um, one of those things that you think about. Like, I never thought about it before I went and took an Abby course. Like, I mean, of course, I t- thought about what Abby's were and what the dangers were. And then I went and took the course. And it was amazing. Maybe. One of the things that our instructor taught us or, or mentioned to us was that confidence level before you take a course. You have that ignorance, mm-hmm. ignorant bliss and your confidence level <laughs> sky high. And, man, I could tackle anything, right? And everything's good. Then you take a course and you learn what the dangers are, right? And so then your confidence (laughs) level just basements, right? It just goes right down. Yeah. Well, and I mean, not to say like, and it should, but I mean, snow does not discriminate and it is so scary. And it is, there's just, it's so humbling. Yeah, it's mother nature. Uh, yeah. What can you do, right? I mean, you have to respect. Right. You have to respect. That yeah, that's a yeah, that's a scary story. I mean, 
good thing. Good thing that went the way it did for her because, um, and she was obviously with a group of people who all are familiar with the backcountry. Well, and they had eyes on when it happened, right? So lucky in that sense, right? So they're standing still watching it go down, knew where she was, which was really cool. All right, let's get off the bad juju here and let's talk about some good stuff. So what, give us a, what's one of the best days you've ever had and where was it? I don't know. That's too hard. I <laughs> too do many good days, plus, is that what you're going to say? What's I do 100 the... plus days a year. <laughs> Sweet. So ha- has all your riding been like U.S., Canada? Have you been down to South America at all or anything like that or over to Europe? No, I've never, I've never ridden off of the continent. Um, I've never been overly motivated. Aside from, yeah, like I would love to go to um, a few specific destinations, one of them being Norway. Mm. Um, no doubt right so like I, off off the hill i, I watched a, a great video on red bull the other day called um was it this land shaped by women or something like that i can't remember exactly what the name of it, it was about these two women from uh scandinavia and um both uh pro riders in the free ride world and uh they went and toured iceland <clears throat> excuse me they went and toured iceland oh, and all they did was snowboard and surf all winter long in Iceland. It was pretty wicked. That sounds awesome. Exactly. I don't really, I'm not very good at surfing, but still I would do that instead of going to my adult job. Definitely. For sure. For sure. I mean, I don't know, but having, I would say that I've had so many cool experiences where like, for example, I went and had like a, what was that? A 13 inch, at snowbird and got in the truck yeah in utah which i mean highly recommend super cool inbound uh world with incredible backcountry access the cottonwood canyons are cool 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 um but the next day um had picked up i guess and had camped out that night in moab like left snowbird went to moab and was trad climbing the next day um <laughs> uh, <laughs> well it's a pretty cool place i've been there as well it was fun um yeah so i mean that was a pretty cool experience i got mount baker um on a 39 Rad. inch storm it was a 39 inch storm that actually came in cold so i got baker on a <laughs> blower uh, nice. cold no smoke no not you know the cement that falls in whistler sometimes right, right. uh yeah what a cool mountain i mean and same thing like that snoqualmie pass area has rad rad terrain and it's stunning like big big old growth like you see um over on like the north faces in rogers pass it's the same thing like those huge huge cedar trees or it's always so cool every i don't know all my cow days have been so good they've all i just i have so much appreciation for every single one of them obviously the day with you is a safe day and everybody wants to be out sounds like you're always getting it good so maybe we need to hook up and uh do a uh, a valerie guided tour one day right absolutely i mean i'm hard to find at any given time (laughs) chase you down yeah it's exactly i'm kind of bouncing all over the place but that's awesome so yeah when you're out doing your thing doing your skinning your touring do you obviously you've got your camera or do you take most of your photos from your phone for your inspiration for your artwork is that usually what's happening because i usually see you when you post your on your instagram you're posting your, your picture that's completed but you'll show the inspiration so 
Yeah, give us a little bit about that, yeah. about where you're getting a lot of inspiration in, on your artwork. Let's dig into a little bit of who Valerie is off the skin track. All right, well, I mean, hmm. I have, hang on, I'm going to just give you an exact figure here. It's a stupid number. I have 14,516 photos on my camera. Roll on my phone right now. <laughs> so that answers that question. That's um, on your phone, you said? On my yeah, on my iPhone. Um, <laughs> so I would I would have to estimate that at least I'm gonna say I'm gonna say at least fifteen hundred photos of those are just of trees, individual trees that are caked in snow that I feel have like their own personality as a winter tree. Um, I think they're beautiful, and I take their portraits awesome. all the time. Um, I frequent like you know some of the same places again and again and i have taken photos of the same tree <laughs> year after <laughs> for some reason. but it's beautiful and i want it and i want to keep it and you know and i hear um, you i love trees I, yeah. I love trees and every time we go to powder king and i'm riding up the right. lift i'm just in awe of the pillows hanging off the trees and yeah. just uh, it's man, gorgeous. i dig it so much yeah. Oh, exactly. It's so beautiful. So like when I first started painting, I didn't know how to paint trees. I frankly still don't know how to paint trees. I'm sort of teaching myself to paint as, as I go. Um, I haven't figured out how to paint like leaves or like <laughs> trees that aren't just so suffocated by snow. Cause I don't really, yeah, that's how I like my trees for sure. Um, do you think those trees are so, really suffocated or they're just like in their cozy little blankets just loving it right i don't know i think trees <laughs> i think they're hibernating a little bit i think they're happy and i think that they're they're warm but i do go on like a free the tree sort of rampage every once in a while where i see a tree that's just too caked and i and i knock all the snow off and you see the branches just like spring back to life and the tree looks, you know, and you have to yell free the tree as you free the tree. That's <laughs> how it right. works. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> On a nice, um, bright, sunny day so it can just absorb all that, right? Oh, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, so I guess all of the zones I've ever, ever, ever seen, I've definitely got a ton of photos of. And I paint the ski run by itself with no real reference to where it is at all because it's irrelevant in some cases but oftentimes when I'm showing those photos it's not my photo as well and I'll always of course credit the photographer but sometimes my friends take photos that inspire me um in places that I don't want to go because they're like bigger badder um mountaineers than I ever really care to be and I'm happy to like ask, of course, but I love to like use those photos as inspiration as well. Um, oh yeah, you ever get into I, that harness and rope stuff? Like you ever get into the mountaineering side of splitboarding, or no? You're you're you like the mellower pace, right? I like pow. Okay, yeah, so yeah. here's what this is. All right, so <laughs> I have tons of climbing gear, and I love climbing while I like wait for winter, whine about winter whatever for the four months like I think my last snowboard day was maybe a week and a half ago and my first day in the season was October 12th so it's not like I have to spend this much time whining for winter but right. I don't usually yeah I want I like pow and when you're into like big line 
big blustery summit drops the snow sucks like the snow <laughs> like it's it's icy it's wind crusted you're there to like either for the photos um or because yeah you're trying to conquer some huge line and I have mad respect for it and no real desire to do it because the blower snow and like the pillow drops and the happy joy power all usually like below tree line the happy right? joy power. I love that yeah <laughs> I totally get it I totally get it I mean yeah yeah you know it, it's it's uh it's a lot more work and a lot more consequence to get up to that stuff, that big line stuff. And, um, not, not that, uh, not that you're right. Not that you don't uh, appreciate what they're up to doing, but that's really not what makes you as happy as that, uh, that happy joy pal does. Yeah. I just like the joy pal. I like the face shot. So that's what I'm in the game for. Um, (laughs) for sure. First and foremost. Kill. And yeah, I will, I will absolutely like respect big missions and first descent. And I think it's incredible. And that risk tolerance and that bravery is definitely not lost on me, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm good. I, uh, I'll chase the drainages with all the little rock features to drop off of places. You can take a dog. Yeah, yes. do you have do you have a dog or you're too nomadic to have a no. dog? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't have a dog, but I I'm friends with lots of dogs and the dogs like to go on my chill missions with me for sure. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So Yeah, I've done a, mm, I've, yeah. I've had a few days in the backcountry with dogs and it's awesome. I love a dog that loves to run through the powder and chase you down the hill. Oh, exactly. And they exactly. seem to be so stoked to do it too. So, <laughs> of course they are, and they have literally zero notion of consequence. So they are just nothing but happy. <laughs> they just and... want to be where you are. Oh, exactly. I was really fortunate to. I mean, this isn't exactly a fortunate story. A good friend of mine down south had some compression fractures, and I was official dog sitter for a couple of weeks in the winter and I took that dog snowboarding everywhere. And <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, loved it. Loved it. Loved it for sure. Little Charlie loves the snow. So sure. as much as me. Yeah. Nice. So you, yeah, I yeah. see here on your website, you're, you've got some driftwood. So you're getting into the driftwood art and that's something that's really uh, inspiring you these days. So you're telling us when you're talking offline here. Um, yeah, I, picked up a couple of pieces the ones that have actually already painted I picked up last summer camping in Revelstoke and I didn't paint them until this winter or this spring even and oof, just yeah it's so much fun it's so different every piece is so much more unique I'm super bored of canvas all of a sudden I don't really know is it the texture? Like is it the texture of the wood that's getting you that like you enjoy painting on, or I think it's just that it's different and like mm-hmm. the sky is wood color all of a sudden. Mm. And there's there's another aspect to it uh, because I'm picking the pieces based on what I think I like. I'm like, well, this looks like something I could actually work with. And nice. then I take them home, I let them dry, I yeah. sand them, I seal them, then I paint them, then I seal them again. Yeah, that's a lot of work. A lot of love there, there's a lot of love that goes yeah. into it. Yeah, it's totally a labor of love. So um, I don't know. And then the skate deck thing is pretty cool. I'm, I would love to get my hands on some more blanks. Mm. 
to paint um, for sure. Well, I know I'm, I'm definitely in. gonna be sending out my uh, when we meet up. I'm definitely gonna give you my hovercraft to uh, to deal with because I don't. I'm over the bamboo looking top sheet, and I want some Valerie on my uh, my board. That one for sure. My uh, board, some inspiration. I don't know what I want on it yet, but we'll figure. I'll figure that out along the way. It's kind of like my uh, new my new tattoo artist, I guess, for my board. Um, <laughs> that's kind of. Uh -huh. Kind of, how I'm gonna put it, but hey, anybody, uh, speaking of that, anybody ever use any of your artwork for a tattoo or yeah, for that or what? Um, how does that work? How does that work? Like, do you, I'm just kind of curious from the artist's perspective, do you feel like you, you created well, that? Do we need your permission if we wanted to do something like that? Not that I'm gonna do that, I'm just kind of curious. It might so happen with our, with our logo, it, it's, it's <laughs> on my mind already. I've, like I told you, I'm doing a table on that, so that's gonna be one thing, but. Yeah, and then us. you're going to have a tattoo that matches a table. It's possible. <laughs> hey, I, I'm quirky. You never know. It's possible. Um, I have I have zero tattoos of my artwork. Um, my One of my friends has suggested to me that it would be cool mm -hmm. as, as, um, as a tattoo. For, and you, most... for you to have your own artwork on, tattooed on you or for them to have your artwork know. tattooed on them? It's not yours I'm anymore, though, if somebody big... tattoos your artwork on you. That's not you anymore. I get, oh, I, yeah, see, I don't know, like, I'm an advocate of, like, I got a tattoo this winter from a girl named Erin Smith, who's an incredibly talented painter and tattoo artist, and I said, this is what I want, I think you're an amazing artist, like, and go, and I showed up, and she had made me my tattoo, so she made it for me, and it's exactly what I wanted. I didn't really give her any guidance, and, um... I had a friend message me just the other day to ask me to make him a monkey tattoo. <laughs> I don't know why this guy thinks. It's like, do you not see what I do on my artwork? Yeah, I'm not doing I What part of this body of work yeah. suggests yeah. that I am the best person to make you a monkey? Well, have you ever um, seen those monkeys in Japan hanging out in the hot tubs? <laughs> yeah, that would be sweet by the mountains. Well, I'm going to make him a monkey, and he's going to have to just take it as it is and i'm gonna do my best and that's gonna be his new tattoo um i mean i think i would be okay with it i think i would make somebody a tattoo if somebody else asked me and then i said i would want you know some money for my time or something and i didn't hear back so <laughs> that's fine so yeah I've always <laughs> oh there we go hold on one sec oh it's a puppy yes he's got a puppy teddy um, oh yeah he's gonna be our I'm new a real oh. sucker for dogs oh yeah i just <laughs> i just rescued a little yorkie she's my new best friend she goes everywhere with me oh, no. yeah but that's oh, that's no. not what i wanted i wanted a husky but i ended up getting a, a two-pound dog right so all right well i mean yeah one of my good friends has a husky that we take skiing all the time and he's not the brightest dog but he sure <laughs> likes to pound the laughs out with us for sure so well teddy's kind of the same he's uh he's a golden doodle but he's a uh, he's always stoked to be outside he can away. party with you oh totally man he that's he's good. always down for it he's <clears throat> always down for it that's good 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 cool so what's uh what's on the horizon for valerie black um i mean just waiting for summer to end already and yeah <laughs> <laughs> so in I the summer that. you like to climb is that right is that what you said yeah, I'm a climber. Um, I'm one of those like skinny kids with the long arms and legs. I was, I was built for climbing. I'll climb. I'll climb until October, and then I'm looking for turns. Um, Sweet. 
what's on my horizon is like i have no idea what to do because the whole like corona thing has changed my life and it's made some changes maybe i wasn't ready for and now i have a super blank canvas and i'm pretty excited about it but yeah i want to paint i'm i want to paint and i want snowboard graphics and i want um i want murals i want to paint outside on walls uh i want that i had this idea sick. that I was, yeah yeah so if you like big like, format like need a scaffold podcast, sure or like i would use a ladder and it would be fine <laughs> and i would just do it and i just want to paint outside I, I feel ready to paint on a massive scale for some reason i i put myself through this training here where I taught myself to paint and now yeah I want to paint something humongous and outside um now I want I a had big building with mind. a big brick wall for you to paint right <laughs> yes something something like that um and I had it in my mind I was gonna finally quit being super antisocial and shy and I was gonna do an art show um this year that was kind of a goal of mine um meanwhile in China some guy ate a bat and now i'm probably not doing an art show this year but i will be ready you know a virtual one yeah yeah i guess and then i mean i'm trying to um what am i trying to do i'm just trying to snowboard i'm trying to find ways to facilitate snowboarding (laughs) in any way that i can i hear that 100 percent. yeah so i mean this year going to shaper summit and having such a rad experience there and meeting so many cool people that live all over the United States. Um, I want to travel more. I want to see more places that I haven't ridden yet. That's definitely on the horizon. Um, And getting back to all of my favorite places. That's this winter for sure. Can you give us a little little bit of a a history, not history, but a little bit of a, insight on shaper summit kind of how that came out about what it's about because i don't think you know people it's not really that known of a thing um no it's not it's not i got i found <laughs> it i listened i heard about it on the uh snowboard project and that just piqued my curiosity and so i started digging into that and uh okay. following some people rob as well on, on instagram while he was doing it and, and just yeah just fantastic like that's Right up my alley, looking at new boards, new shapes. You know, I used to design and build snowboards back in the '90s with Kusport, and uh, yeah, that was just yeah, like from graphics to boards, and seeing all that, and watching the videos, and watching some of these you know independent guys that are just out there making these boards that are just awesome. Something's totally not, oh, yeah. not not mainstream, but I'm sure it rides like a dream, and it's just set up to make you just enjoy pow even more. So yeah, tell us a little well, more about I mean, your experience there this winter. Totally. So, well, you said it. So, like, I mean, I guess, like, a brief history of Rob Kingwell. Uh, rad dude. So, so, so committed to everything that he's doing. Um, this guy came back from, what did he do? So, he went to, like, Idaho and then Washington and then back to Jackson and then immediately to Japan. He was in Japan for, I don't know, 10 days. Comes back immediately, like, never possibly more jet lagged in his life and puts on Shaper Summit, which was a, it's a three day private event. And then they have like the public days after that. Um, so for me, it was just this community gathering of a hundred percent rad human beings. And 
I mean, there was big name brands there. There was, uh, I mean, Burton showed up, uh, Never Summer was there. Jones, of course, has their appearance. And, uh, but yeah, brands that you never, ever would have access to otherwise, like, especially in Canada, people that you've never even heard of that are putting out incredible quality, incredible snowboards, super creative shapes, so much fun to ride. I mean, oh, like, where do I start? Mikey Franco, um, Franco Snow Shapes is a Jackson brand and I mean they're unbelievable like these are custom snowboards that just knock your socks off and I had the opportunity to ride their uh, squash tail and that thing rocked my world uh winter stick snowboards is an eastern brand that same thing rob Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rob kingwell is a winter stick through and through and um same thing yeah yeah, so I rode their Tantra in a 52, which is kind of even a long board for me, and I absolutely loved it. Um, same thing with a brand called Mountain Local. Like, the same thing, Ski the East, but incredible shapes, super cool. Everybody there is so creative, and they're so excited to be there and to share what they're doing. Um, Igneous Snowboards and Skis, Mike Parrish out of Jackson, same thing. I mean, these are, like, handmade snowboards that – Sure, you could go buy a Burton split off of the assembly line, but the amount of passion and love that goes into these handmade snowboards is incredible. And I saw it firsthand, and it wasn't a sales event; it was a community mm-hmm. event. It mm-hmm. was 100% for riders, and oh yeah, I won an award for being the most excited girl at this. <laughs> <No> <laughs> we can hear it right now. The biggest stoke. Well, what I loved about it yeah. was that everybody's sharing. So you know. Back in the 90s when everybody was building snowboards, it was the big thing. Like, you know, we're big in Japan and get boards to Japan. It was always secret. Everybody was secret about their technology, what they're doing with their boards. And what I loved about Shaper Summit is that everybody is sharing. They're there to share. They're there to, you know, you come ride my boards. I'll ride your boards. And we're going to see if we can, what tech you're using, how we can integrate together. And it was, like, it's so good. That's where the community needs to go more and more. And I'm seeing it happening. And that's what's really getting me even more stoked about snowboarding is that they're not... The division, yeah, the big corporations are still there, and even they're saying, "Man, we need to get some, you know, new insight, and we need to find out what the new, what the the small guys are doing to actually push this this sport even more." So I'm I'm, I'm loving that. Right, and it, so like like I said, I mean, Rob is giving 197 percent to absolutely everything he does, and his big dream is to create essentially, um, like a database, I guess. So by collecting i think there's 120 riders there testing i have no idea yeah. how many snowboards were there way too, like way more than i can tell you um and so the idea is if you are looking for a new setup you're getting a little more dialed on your on your touring and you want something new and you don't want the same three selections that we have from whatever source boards mm-hmm. you know not to knock them but mm-hmm. You, if you had, say, you could go to the Shaper Summit website and you could say, okay, I'm a girl, I am 5'4", I weigh 115 pounds, and I like to ride out. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's going to be like, I like to ride ice, <laughs> but, but I, you know what no, I'm saying? No, so exactly. I've, I'm, I fit those dimensions, and I, have, I rode and tested and reviewed 11 snowboards mm-hmm. um, in – three days which mm-hmm. i maybe could have done more but i was really hooked on <laughs> <So> <laughs> i did a couple of laps but 
yeah, so I was able to like say, this is what I liked about this. This board was not right for me. I can see how it'll be mm. right for someone if they weighed 20 pounds more than me. Right. Or maybe this board would be perfect if it was shorter or I straight up thought this board was stupid or I literally think this snowboarder was ugly and otherwise it was okay. <laughs> Anything that, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's information that people just don't have access to in a centralized manner like that. And Kanger's commitment to snowboarding is that high. Like that's nice. what he wants to do for people. Yeah. Well, it'd be awesome if you could hook us up with him. Cause I think he's right up the alley, right up our alley, what we're, what we're doing. And he would definitely yeah. help, uh, help definitely push us a bit more and get us. I'd like to hear some of his stories as well. Because his backcountry, I've seen him on Instagram. He's out there. He's just giving her. He doesn't care about the corona and don't go. He's just like, I'm going. I'm getting no, good. No, that's not good. true, though. Rob <laughs> cares about the corona. Well, not that um, sense, Rob but... has been a huge advocate for like, the, but he's also a huge advocate for, yeah, staying inside is not yeah. good for your health. No. But yeah, he was definitely pushing like, the social distance aspect of it yeah um, for sure because he yeah, was alone a lot yeah. but yeah. yeah yeah that's exactly what it was i didn't mean um, it in the, the sense lockdown. of i didn't mean it in that no. sense i meant like he's just like i'm gonna go do my thing still i'm staying safe 100%. probably staying probably staying in like your what we were talking about in your kind of favorite stuff the stuff that's not high uh you know big crazy lines just stay simple easy but he was getting out there and promoting himself and it was awesome to watch it was like getting frothy myself like i want to go do that Right. So Rob texted me at 940 last night, standing on the top of a ski run. He sent me a photo of, no. yeah. of his winter stick. I think this thing is like a 189. Oh what? It's huge. And I mean, so I, I don't know. Rob is like, is he a big guy? I mean, he's, I'm trying to, he's like, everybody looks big to me. He's like, I don't know, a little <laughs> under six feet. And oh I look at this snowboard and I'm like, this thing is a sailboat. <laughs> yeah. But I, he's I could see for the right rider. conditions he, for sure. Right. It's an aggressive board. You're not gonna like it's definitely stable. So I <laughs> and it's I, a winter stick and he repped that thing so hard. And yeah, the biggest board I have is a one seventy. And if things are if the conditions are right, like you know, like like you say, the happy pow conditions, I mean it's a great board in that. Uh, for for in the tight trees, not stellar, um, right? For sure, but uh, super floaty. Love it. It's got lots of nose and a big nose on it, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I love it when when conditions are just right. That blower stuff, and you're just floating, and it's just so silent, and all you can just hear is every little snow crystal hitting the edge of the board when you're riding down. Oh, exactly. So like, I'm a I'm not a big person, but I've been riding shorter and shorter boards. Um, I rode a mountain local wisdom. It was a 142. Um, this is like a children's size board at this point, but the shape is there, so it handles like a dream. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm the uh, short. Sorry, go ahead. Short boards are all about. I'm all about the short boards. My quiver is just getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I was actually uh super super lucky to get hooked up with an elevated surf craft there's another brand that canadians will never hear about unless i say it um writing it down elevated surf craft so their boards are actually measured not in centimeters but in like feet and inches so it's just like surfboards and aaron gave me this uh mini fish and it's a four foot thick it's a 135 
is what it is. Wow. It's a 135 swallowtail. And I could not tell you, like, this thing is so much fun to ride. So you're sitting right in the backseat of that board, totally. Yeah, it has a tail of like eight inches and it's a swallowtail. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've always I've always been a big board guy, I guess, and that's I mean, I'm six okay. foot, just two ten, two fifteen on a heavy day type of thing. And uh the first board that I ever owned and rode, and this was East Coast, this was New Jersey, um yeah. was a one eighty two Burton supermodel. <laughs> so that's what that's essentially what Holy. that was the first board I rode. And you know what? I didn't have any problems with it, but I didn't know any better, right? Like I was just learning to ride and and loved it. Um and, right. then, and then I went and bought myself a like a one fifty six on eBay. It was back in the day, a Moreau board. Um and definitely noticed oh the big my. difference, right? And then so today I ride you know, pretty much all my boards are in the sixties and and then I got my big 70, but then Chad took me, uh, well, we went to Powder King and he brought his, uh, he brought a, a Burton fish out there that he wanted me to try. That's what, what size is that board? Chad? 162. Uh, it felt smaller, but man, what is, was that ever a ton of fun to ride? Right. I mean, even exactly. So like, sure, you can change the length of the snowboard, but changing the shape does. Big time. Big time. A lot. Oh man. A lot, a lot. Oh yeah. And exactly so my quiver is shrinking but i have like these wide boards now um they're shorter and wider than for sure than like 10 years ago i used to mm -hmm. ride a 52 and i was like huh and then i i mean i'm yeah i'm down to like 42 45 but they're all like an inch wider than that 52 and that's perfect for me that's exactly what i like because it's got the slope but you mm -hmm. can maneuver it through tight trees. I took a $3,000 Franco snowboard through, you know, some tight enough trees in the Hovax at Jackson. And I was super scared. <laughs> <laughs> you break it, you bought it at right. Jackson. So, oh, no man. doubt. Yeah. Hey, I got a question yeah. for you. So we've talked about boards okay. and, um, you know, a little bit of a gearhead here. So what, uh, what bindings do you like to rock when it comes to split boarding? I've been on Spark since day one love them never tried anything else i've been super happy with them um yeah i love the simplicity of the binding and yeah and the mine don't have like the pin that you have to slide out and they have like that there's a new system where you can just slide it over and it's a one piece system and yeah i know i've got the I burton hitchhikers which are the same platform yeah they're wicked so okay. fast to transition yeah, for sure. Um, that's okay. it. I, I mean, I've never ridden with anything else. Okay, I've cool. stuck to it. Cool, cool. Yeah, no, that's sweet, <laughs> man. I, I, I don't really personally have a desire to try a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, you know, the no, the but... hitchhikers, which is that that um, well, I think it's the Tesla platform from Spark R and D, which is uh, I love it. I love the binding. It's trouble free. It's simple, light stiff perfect works really good never had any troubles not ready to have any desire to switch to anything else so yeah just kind of curious because oh, exactly. everybody's a little bit different right so oh exactly i don't yeah i don't know i would have to maybe take the time to actually try something else someday maybe next year at split fest or something but yeah i don't know i'm super happy with them cool cool sponsor me yep sponsor me. <laughs> <No doubt. Exactly. laughs> i hear that yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you could. I've uh, never broken a single thing on those bindings, and I break 
all my other riding. There you go. Just a little tip, mm-hmm. man. Maybe do some of your artwork on the high back and then take some pictures right. and post it up. Yeah, I like that. See I mean, you know what? About. I probably should do that because totally. I'm just sitting here waiting for winter. I'm, Absolutely, I'm man. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In between driftwood yeah. projects. <laughs> I'm literally painting on driftwood right now while I talk to you guys. So. Sweet. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Well, this has been a blast, man. I'm Absolutely. so glad yeah, that uh, that you took the time. I'm so glad that we hooked up with you and super proud of the fact that uh, that you are the artist behind our logo. I mean, I'm super grateful for that opportunity. So thank you guys. Thanks for uh, coming back at me after I said no the first time. <laughs> yeah, you sent us to a skier. I'm just going to put that out there. I didn't mean to. I sent you to an artist. <laughs> and she, she sent, you know, her, her artwork's beautiful, but she sent me yeah. ramen noodle lined photos of her. Funny. And, right? Not sent me, but she sent me, like, her web, her Instagram yeah. has that. Exactly what we talked about offline is that that's how they ski. And I was like, this isn't snowboarding. They don't look at the mountain the same. It's not what we're looking for. Yes, she can make a nice skin track. Her artwork is gorgeous. There's no question. Yeah. It's not split boarding. Well, I think it means, well, I think fair. it means a lot that the artist behind you know the dark start i don't know image um i think it means a lot that the artist behind it is a split boarder who loves happy pal mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> the old joy pal and trees well, free the trees yeah man no i'm stoked too you should, almo- to do that, so you should give us you. a free you should almost give us a scream of free the tree so we can use that as our intro I can't. I can't scream free the tree. That's all right. That's all right. No I can't. Worries. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's all good. free the tree. <laughs> Perfect. We'll, we'll pull that out. Um, yeah. That was great. Nice. There you go. Full send. That was good. Cool. So, yeah, so how do how do people find you, Valerie? Like, yes. where? What are your socials? Give us a like, give us a shout out so that uh, everybody knows where to get in touch and and find your artwork. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm on Instagram. That is the best place to find my artwork. Uh, it's ValerieBlack.art. Um, I have a website, link in bio at ValerieBlack.art. My website is SkinTracksAndRockStacks.com. Um, I have a Facebook, which regurgitates whatever's on Instagram. And I'd say that's about it. And you can find me, you know, in the trees. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot, yeah. Valerie. Yes, thank you so much for your time. Well, this has been you fantastic. Guys. Thanks right. for having me. We will Anytime. connect again soon. Cool. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening, and special thanks to Valerie for taking the time to talk with us. As always, you can learn more about Valerie in the show notes. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at DarkStartsBC to find out when our next episodes are dropping and to share your awesome pictures and videos within the listener community. You won't want to miss out on our next episode where we talk with Eric Trollson of the F and Rad Snowboard Podcast. Eric was a major inspiration for us to start this podcast. If you're not already listening to his, we highly recommend it. We want to give a shout out to Scott Martin of Groundswell Marketing Podcast, Ivan of the Radar One Podcast, and Pat Cornway for helping us to make this happen.